it's so important that you think about these words with me. No name but Christ. No name but Christ. No church but Christ. No doctrine but Christ. No name but Christ. No church but Christ church. No doctrine but Christ doctrine. Oh, my friends, we must never be ignorant or indifferent toward religious division. Did you listen to the passages that Shad just shared with us? John 17, 20 and 21. On the night in which Jesus was to be betrayed, he prays that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that people might be one, united, have unity on the basis of the gospel, the word given through the apostles of Jesus. No name but Christ's name. No church but Christ's church. No doctrine but Christ's Doctrine. Yes, we do live in a tragically, religiously divided world. In the Dallas-Fort Worth area alone, there are over 5,400 different church buildings, I understand. So you could spend 60 years of your life going from one church to the next and just begin to scratch the surface, to make a dent. We can't be ignorant or indifferent about religious division. The result, the price of a religiously divided world is an unbelieving group of people. The price we have to pay for our religious division is a world of unbelief. Through the years, there have been people that wanted to try to have greater union, greater unity, if you will, among religious groups. But often that would seem to come at the expense of doctrine, but in trying to just embody maybe the command to love one another and love God and the golden rule. And so doctrine seems to get watered down in many modern day attempts toward unity. But when you stop and think about it, there have been times when Christians were united There have been times when there were no religious denominations. There have been occasions when people simply sought no name but Christ. No church but Christ. No doctrine but Christ. 
Is that not possible again? Can there not be greater unity? In Psalm 133 and verse 1, the Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We shouldn't be ignorant or indifferent about religious division because the price of great religious division among people who claim to be Christians is an unbelieving world. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, at this early point in the life of God's people, there was tremendous unity. You can see it beginning in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And yet, when you read verse 44, there was a sense of unity and oneness. They loved God and they loved one another. Any attempt for religious unity that doesn't stress these two matters will be doomed to failure. Matter number one, we must lift up the New Testament as God's authoritative standard. Call Bible things by Bible names. Do Bible things in Bible ways. But secondly, this matter, we must eliminate, we must eradicate the elevation of human opinion and tradition that has happened in the religious world that has neglected the standard. The New Testament. We must eliminate and eradicate mere human tradition and opinions that neglect the place of the standard. Look at Acts 4, verse 32. In Acts 4, verse 32, yes, there's, there's a way to get at unity biblically that honors God. This idea of no name but Christ... No church but Christ, no doctrine but Christ, really finds its heart in the New Testament itself. And in Acts 4 verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and mind. Wouldn't it be great if there were more true unity among people who claim to be Christians today? It can come, it's possible, it's desirable, and it can be maintained when there is the fervent desire to look at the New Testament as the full and complete and ultimate authority and to let human traditions and opinions all be brought subject to the will of God in the New Testament. Some opinions... And traditions will have to be eliminated because there is no basis whatsoever for them in the New Testament. As people who seek to be Christians only, 
Here's two words to remember. I talked about two matters. The need to get back to the New Testament as the authoritative standard and the need to eliminate and eradicate mere human opinion and tradition. But think about this. We are to be a unity movement. The people of God, Christians, in whatever age and time in which we find ourselves, should be calling people to oneness in Christ and in His gospel. That is a non-negotiable. We dare not isolate ourselves. But we need to call people to greater unity in Jesus and his word. But secondly, we must emphasize restoration. That's the second word. Unity. Through the years, some people emphasize unity, which really lays aside doctrine But unity that emphasizes restoration properly will lift up God's will, God's teaching, God's doctrine, so that all should be subject to what it says. We need to be interested in restoring New Testament Christianity. No name but Christ. You hear me, young people? No name but Christ's name. No church but Christ church. No doctrine or teaching but Christ teaching. And because these have been neglected, we live in an unbelieving world. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. This is so desirable, it's possible to have real unity. And it's possible to maintain unity. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Today, Lord willing, all of our study time will be coming from Ephesians 4. And I'll be looking especially at these verses this morning, verses 4 through 6. Because in that passage you have seven ones that constitute God's platform for unity. If we are emphasizing unity and restoration, these are matters that we will focus upon. Notice the seven. There is one body. There is one spirit. There is one hope. There is one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Let us look at this passage. Because if we would plead for restoring the unity of New Testament Christianity, we must stress there is one body. One body. That's what the text says, does it not? There is one body. But the one body, Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, is the church. He is the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, 18. Yet we live in a world when there are many churches Many bodies. One head, they say, but many bodies. This finds no substance at all in the Word of God.
There is one body. Turn in your Bibles, keeping your fingers there at Ephesians 4 to 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, look at three passages with me. First of all, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And Paul says there are many members, but there is one body. He's using the human body as an illustration. One person consists of many members of the body. There is one body, the church, that consists of many different individual members. Do you see that? The same principle is found in verse 20. There is one body that consists of considerable diversity as terms as far as actual members are concerned. People in the church do not look exactly alike. We do not have the same talents, the same backgrounds, the same personalities. But we all come together as part of the body of Christ because of our love and respect for no name but Christ's name. No church but Christ's church. No doctrine but Christ's doctrine. We cannot be indifferent to religious division today. We can't. There's one body. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. By one Spirit baptized into the body. The church. How we need to love the church. Jesus shed his blood for the church, Acts 20 and verse 28. We need to love the church, the body of Christ. There is but one. In a world that emphasizes one head, Jesus, but with many, many bodies, there's no substance for this, biblically. One body. Next. One spirit. One spirit. Jesus told the apostles in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all the truth that he would bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus had instructed them. Men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the things they did. 2 Peter 1.21 One Spirit. When one comes to Jesus... When one becomes a Christian, one is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 and Acts 5 and verse 32. And the Spirit within us helps us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 and 23 as we yield to God and His will 
His Word. One Spirit. I wonder if all the various doctrines really find their source in the one Spirit. There's one body. There's one Spirit. How we need to live and serve and love the Spirit-given will of God. One hope. One hope. See that in Ephesians 4 with me? There's one hope. We have a living hope. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4. We have everlasting comfort and good hope through the grace of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. A conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1, There is one hope. One body, one spirit, one hope. Our hope in Christ is an anchor, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, that ultimately saves, Romans eight twenty four. Interestingly, the next one of the seven ones is one Lord. You see that? The platform of unity revolves around the person and the work of Jesus that is smack dab there in the middle in the expression, One Lord. Let me illustrate what I mean. There is one body. The church is the body of Christ. See how that expression links to the Lord? There is one Spirit. The Spirit was sent by Jesus and given by the Lord as a gift to those who belong to Him, to those who are Christians. There is one hope. And this one hope is made possible through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is one faith. How does that relate to Jesus? The faith that's from Jesus, given by Jesus. There is one baptism. How does one get into Christ? How does one get in Him? And there is indeed one God and Father. He's above us all. And when we come to Christ, we acknowledge God above and we place ourselves under the will of God. One Lord. There was a time when sermons like these were more common. Sadly, they're not as common as they ought to be. 
The people of God must stand for true biblical unity and we must not lose our sight of the fact of what we're calling men to, but we must also stress, we must emphasize that cannot come at the expense of God's will. Unity is only union if we compromise God's will. We're into restoration. Restoration. Simply, again, no name but Christ's name. No church but Christ's church. No teaching or doctrine but Christ's teaching. Having looked a little bit at these first four, let's look at the fifth one. One faith. One faith. Young people need to hear subjects like this. Older people need to be reminded of them too. There is one faith. Contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Jude verse 3. It was said of the Apostle Paul, now he was proclaiming, preaching the faith he once sought to destroy. Galatians 1 and verse 23. There is one faith. There's one system, there's one body of truth out there that comes from God that is real and capable of saving and helping us to live lives that honor God so we can have an eternal home with Him. There is one faith. Commonly, we can speak of it this way. There is the doctrine of God. And there are the doctrines of men. In Matthew 21, look at the passage. It's significant. Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. Jesus is asked a question. By what authority do you do the things you do, Jesus? And who gave you this authority? Jesus acknowledges the question is a good question. And he shows a willingness to answer it, provided that the questioners allow Jesus to ask a question, and that they respond to it first. Jesus says, John's baptism... John the baptizer, his baptism, where did it come from? From heaven or from men? There are the doctrines of men, and there is doctrine that comes from heaven. One faith, so to speak. The religious people who asked the Lord that question would not respond to the Lord's question because they, they knew they were in a conundrum, they were in a fix, they were in a bind. It would be difficult to them, for them to respond honestly. If we say that John's baptism came from, from God, he'll ask us why didn't we obey it and why didn't we submit to it. And if we say that it came uh, from mere men, the people think of John as a prophet and we'll be in trouble. Jesus 
specifies in responding to this, number one, that there is a place for religious authority, and religious authority comes from one of two realms, from God or from men. There's one faith. The Bible speaks of the doctrines of men, Colossians 2, 22 and 23, Matthew 15, 9, the doctrines of men. The Bible speaks of the doctrines, plural, of demons, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. In speaking of the one faith, the New Testament typically speaks of it this way, the doctrine of Christ. Notice that? Doctrines, plural, of men. Doctrines, plural, of demons. But of Christ, of heaven's teaching, the doctrine of Christ. 2 John 9 through 11. No name but Christ. No church but Christ's church. No doctrine but Christ's doctrine, one faith. Next, one baptism. You can tell about how religiously divided Christendom is by looking at these areas, and of no case is it more obvious than the case concerning the one baptism, the baptism of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that's to continue until the Lord Himself returns. The baptism of the New Testament is an immersion, a burial, Romans 6 and verse 4, Colossians 2 and verse 12. Done in the name of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, mentioned in Matthew 28 and verse 19. The name of Jesus, His authority is mentioned in Acts 2.38. One baptism, for what reason, for what purpose? For the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. To be saved, 1 Peter 3.21. One baptism. To have one's sins washed away as one turns to God with a good conscience. Acts 22 and verse 16. We live in a world, the world that quote, end quote, is Christendom, that thinks that baptism can come in any way, sprinkling or pouring or immersion. We live in a world that does not appreciate what Scripture in the New Testament says. What Scripture in the New Testament says about the purpose of baptism. How we need to claim unity can only come when we agree that God's Word is the full and complete and ultimate standard. And people everywhere respect what is said about the one baptism. I have a lot of friends that are in denominations. I have a lot of books that I can appreciate in my library that are written by denominational men, but I'll tell you this, you cannot miss the truth about baptism. You cannot miss the truth about the one faith. You cannot miss the truth about the one body 
and understand the place of true unity and the value of biblical restoration. You can't. Young people need these lessons and older people need refresher courses. I am astounded sometimes at the ignorance and the indifference that I hear about denominationalism, which in the eyes of God obviously has no right at all to even exist. It should grieve us because a divided Christendom has a heavy price. It's an unbelieving world. Finally, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. You want to honor God. You want true unity, and you want people to be part of God's great unity program. Look at Ephesians 4. You want to to really restore New Testament Christianity where we can say this. Listen to me, and I don't want you to misunderstand. There are some members of the churches of Christ that have just as denominational of a concept of the church as they can have, and that's not right. And there are some members of churches of Christ that have an isolationist, sectarian view and that we're all right and everybody else is all wrong and everybody else can just go straight to hell and that's not right either. We must uphold biblical unity and biblical restoration simultaneously. No name but Christ's name. No church but Christ's church. No doctrine but his doctrine. Thank you for listening. And I hope and pray that if we communicate this message with love, and think about that, because restoring, as we close, I want to talk about this just briefly. Four areas to really think about restoration in. Restoring New Testament teaching. Wouldn't that be great? to restore New Testament teaching more in our world, our country, to restore New Testament faith, what we believe in coincides, it fits well with what the apostles taught and the early church believed, to restore doctrine to restore New Testament faith, to restore New Testament practices that are God-honoring and right. But listen to this one. To restore New Testament attitudes. New Testament attitudes. The attitude of love... Boldness, brotherly kindness, compassion, forgiveness. As we continue our study of Ephesians 4 this evening, we'll look at some of these matters because they're there to be seen. God help us stand for true biblical unity. May the church say amen.
And God, please help us to stand for true and biblical restoration. May the church say amen. Amen. Because the two go together. Let us stand and sing.